Hello and welcome to the Anarchaeologist podcast. Today we're talking about a number of ideas um, about how archaeology in the pub, general public and from the point of academics works. Today I'm talking to uh, Professor Cornelius Holtroff, who is the author of the book Archaeology as a Brand. First of all, thank you for coming to the show and welcome. Well, thank you for having me in this show. So, could you give us a little bit of an idea of what kind of research you do at the moment, what interests you? Yeah, I mean, I'm um, in the lucky position that I can spend quite a lot of my time on, on research. And I guess I'm still interested in the in one issue that I've been fascinated by throughout the whole of my career, really, in, in what contribution does archaeology and the past make to contemporary society? I think that's sort of the overarching theme. And this is where my interest in, in popular culture really came from. And um, I've since then developed that into new areas, and I'm doing a range of um, very different things um, at the moment. Um, so that includes some work on the international level together on the UNESCO level with e-commerce and developing policy for the World Heritage Convention. And it includes um, a project that will has only just started and will probably really take off next year, take off literally because it's about a space <laughs> message. Um, um, that will be very exciting indeed. Uh, yeah. And then there's also a project which we've had now here for the last three years and hope to continue that's uh, about nuclear waste oh wow so is that is that about storing nuclear waste or what people think about nuclear waste it's about communicating about nuclear waste with the long distance future because this is obviously important stuff yeah. that uh, will be stored uh, safely below the surface mm. in different places and the challenge for us is um, how do we communicate to people who may live a hundred thousand years from now or even longer exactly what is down there and that it may not be a good idea to drill a hole just mm -hmm. here well it will be a nasty surprise for an archaeologist to find a thousand years in the yeah. future <laughs> there are any left by then huh oh right <laughs> archaeologists at that time oh of course <laughs> so obviously you've got um you you're very well known uh, for your book, Archaeology is a Brand. Actually, it's quite funny. Um, just last week, I was speaking to a few of my old lecturers who actually, the first thing they said to me is like, oh, yeah, you need to get in contact with Cornelius Holdroff. I was like, oh, funny that, you know, <laughs> I've got him on the show next week. And they're like, oh, wow, that's amazing. And uh, so you've got some admirers over here, by the way. You've got some admirers. <laughs> <laughs> can you tell, uh, so can can you give me like a little 
brief idea about Archaeology as a brand. What was the main idea behind the book? Well, the main idea is that archaeology is, um, is a concept that is um, meaningful to people even before we start communicating with them. Mm-hmm. So this is... Um, uh, and I think most archaeologists uh, tend to present the issue in the wrong way because it's not about people needing to understand what uh, archaeologists think um, they're dealing with and uh, how they're working. I think it's, 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 it's more the other way around, that archaeology is a very well-established brand in society already, and we need to find ways in academia to get to grips with that. And uh, by that I mean that um, if, if I mention, or if you mention, or anybody mentions the term archaeology to a stranger, then the stranger will nearly in all cases, the face will light up automatically and uh, the, the, the stranger will think about um, a, a number of concepts and has a number of images in, in, in his or her mind. Uh, that altogether make up this 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 image, this brand uh, of archaeology, and it's a very positive brand at that. I think uh, a company like Coca-Cola would spend many millions to have a similarly successful image like the one archaeologists already have. And the best we do very often is to dismiss that and say, you know, if you think archaeology is like Indiana Jones, then you haven't gotten, uh, haven't understood anything. <laughs> I think that's a mistake. So, so, so people in the public domain, I mean, the image they have of archaeology is, of course, about pyramids and it's about digging and it's about the, um, uh, the sensational find and gold and skeletons and revelations and of different sorts uh, and so on. So all that together is a very powerful um, message. Uh, and uh, well, I use the term bra to, to describe that. Yeah. So what's the best way for archaeologists to get uh, start dealing with archaeology as a brand rather than something which they've toiled and struggled with for years and years and have learnt so much. I mean, I know a lot of archaeologists spend a lot of time reading and what this means is that archaeologists often have, you know, little bits of facts about a lot of different things. So how, how does an archaeologist start to deal with it in this way? Well, by recognizing the value that lies in it, I think, by, um, by trying to work with it and not against it. Oh. I think that's, it's, it's an attitude question. Yeah. But I mean, what if, okay, what, what if I feel that, like, um, it, you know, I've, I've heard the Indiana Jones thing far too much. Every single time it's, you know, where's your whip? Where's your satchel? Where's the boulder? You know, and it gets to the point where you feel as if, you know, what you do has been trivialized. You know, it's by basically what, what, how you feel is, you know, superficial. I mean, at the end of the day, what they are doing, it feels as if they're boiling down what you do and what, what you're really interested in to, well, a film that isn't really, like, it's a nice film, but, you know, it doesn't really represent, you know, too much digging in the ground. No, I mean... That- Popular culture, Hollywood films, computer games, whatever, they're not meant to portray how academic disciplines work. So obviously uh, the image presented in, in, in these examples, and there are many of them, not just Indiana Jones, they, um, they're not uh, an adequate representation of an academic discipline like archaeology. So, so, so that's obvious. But on the, on the other hand, um, uh, 
I think many other disciplines would be glad if they had a similar sort of attention. It's, it can actually be quite arrogant if, if we have got this fantastic press. If we say, oh, no, you know, it's too positive, not again, you know, everybody loves us, you know, it's so boring to be the hero and adventure and everybody admires us, oh, no, can't hear that anymore. I think that sends the wrong message. And it's, uh, ultimately, I think it's arrogant. Um, and there are many positive sides in that. Um, I mean, people do admire us, and they want to hear us um, when they when they ask you back, "Are oh, you here? You're an archaeologist. Can you tell me have you found any any gold yet?" Or so. Then, yeah, of course, it's a cliche, and and uh, archaeology is not just about gold mm-hmm. and and so on. We know all that, uh, but really, what it means is is they don't want to know whether you found gold. Really, what they're asking you is, "Can you please tell me a story? Please tell me a story of your work." And they don't mind if you say, no, I didn't find gold, but I found something else that was exciting. Yeah, that, that's what it's about. And I think we need to understand that it's this longing for archaeological storytelling that people demand. And there are so many possibilities to do that. If only we can get around to accepting that this is um, mm. something worthwhile doing. So I, I'm just, I want to try and pick up on that and maybe the reasons why um, archaeologists behave in that way. I mean... I mean, is it possibly because archaeologists are seeing it as a short, like in shorthand, rather than seeing what or hearing actually what's what the person's asking? Instead, they're hearing, um, you know, they're not fully engaging with the person. They're just hearing this one line, and they think, "Oh, this person doesn't know about archaeology." When in fact, they should be like saying, "This person wants to know about archaeology, but they want to know it." as a personal thing from me is that kind of yeah that that's part of it i I think i speak sometimes here about the archaeologist disease uh, because i've met many archaeologists who are unable to see the bigger picture they they cannot see what archaeology contributes to society and um, what role we play in society and and, uh, which what makes our discipline meaningful in society and if you only focus on, on, on what you're doing yourself, uh, which, of course, is very valuable also that. I mean, the scientific work you do or the whatever practical tasks you, you work with in, at, at your place of work, you know, all this is significant, but it doesn't speak to the larger public or to society as such. It doesn't, there's no value for society in being responsible for whatever little project you're dealing with on, on that occasion. So th- 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 I think you need to see the bigger picture and appreciate that the question which you get asked by members of the public, that this is about the bigger picture. They don't see your specific task. They want to know, if you're an archaeologist, you know, so what is it you have on offer for me? And I think a lot of that is to do with storytelling. Um, and so I, th- I think you're right in, in, in the way you described the, the situation, but it's ultimately to do with that. I think many archaeologists cannot see archaeology in the bigger context. So how, how, could, uh, how could you take my temperature? How could you know if I... Or how could one know if they have the archaeologist disease? Do I have the archaeologist disease? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That depends on how you respond um, to the sort of scenario we just um, developed. If, if you're, I mean, since you're making this program, you're probably quite keen to tell stories yourself and engage and interact with people in various ways. I think that's um, that's important. Not to expect that everybody will be in, in mm-hmm. on, on your terms, on your ground. But understand that they want something which you, uh, they appreciate something which, which, which you can offer. 
So, obviously, with um, certain examples, you've got, like, people asking about gold, people asking about, you know, what's happening at the site, and, you know, we've talked briefly about it going into storytelling about the bigger picture. What if it's something a bit more controversial? What if the person is, you know... the person is convinced about something like, for example, what all archaeologists groan every time they hear it, but, you know, the ancient astronaut theory. What if we start having talking to somebody who is obviously convinced that aliens have landed th- thousands of years ago, but in such a way that they're trying to basically say, well, maybe, maybe it could be possible, don't you think, Mr. Archaeologist? You know, where they're kind of like it's almost like fishing for authenticity. I don't know. What do you what do you think about that kind of situation? Well, I wrote a few papers on, on alternative archaeology, which you may or may not have seen, um, and I actually think it's a good example for it illustrates what what I've said before, um, because too many archaeologists they uh, get um, and as you seem to be uh, alluding to also they they they, they, they seem to get um, really angry at people who get the facts wrong who um, propose things that have no validity in in, in academia. Um, like the example used just now with the ancient astronauts hypothesis and, and, and so on. And obviously that's from an academic perspective completely untenable and has nothing to go for it. Um, but in the public domain, really, um, and people like Daniken have been so skillful at that because he's always asking those questions just as you were phrasing it just now. But what if? Isn't, can you really uh, um, prove that there are no astronauts? And of course nobody can. What he's really doing is, is, is is, is um, opening up a dimension in, in, in society that is uh, uh, it's the mystery, it's the unknown, it's the world that lies beyond ours. It, 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 it opens a whole different universe for people and all they want to do is toy with that idea. It's a way of engaging with what is not known to us on earth, you know. But what if there are people out there? What if they had built the pyramids or, and whatever they, 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 they might have done, you know. I think there, there are few people who literally believe that this must have happened there's no other way of explaining uh, the past I think most people just entertain the possibility that it could be and the message they're sending out is that we cannot explain everything and that there are mysteries and it's just that that makes archaeology so fascinating and I think that's that's a legitimate desire and there's nothing wrong in, in having that sort of understanding of the world um, and it doesn't matter if they uh, get some of the facts wrong and of course if the academic archaeologists uh, don't agree on academic grounds with any of these uh, theories. So that's exactly an example for, I think, where the bigger picture, you have to see the bigger picture. What is it these people are really seeking? And it's not the truth about the past. Okay. So how, how, how do you think, how, well, then, when, when do we talk about the truth about the past? When do they want it? Because ultimately, I mean, you know, what is, uh, what is the role of the archaeologist if not to find the truth in the past? I'm being a bit okay. hyperbolic here. <laughs> That's okay. But the task of the archaeology is not to um, find out the truth of the past, at least not, not the way I see it. I, I would say the task of the archaeologist is to translate the past and the meaning of the past and its remains into the present, mm-hmm. make the past meaningful today. Um, and I think that's what we're doing. Uh, but it's not just us. This is also what other people are doing who are not academic archaeologists. So we're working parallel uh, in a number of the, with, with a number of other 
genres and, and fields. And popular culture is one of them, a very big one, which is it's actually bigger than academic archaeology. So then, actually, I'm really interested to know uh, when it comes to things like portrayal in video games uh, of archaeologists. I mean, obviously, you have archaeologists uh, are basically window dressing. There's like small signifiers for adventuring. It's, you know, a lot of running around ancient tombs because for some reason gamers really love that. And there's a lot of booby traps and falling pieces of masonry. I mean, is there something to be kind of gleaned from that as well? Is it is it just the archaeologist's sense of adventure, which I think most archaeologists actually would agree with? Yeah, um, I actually agree. Uh, most archaeologists would agree with that. And when they meet in the pub, then they also talk about their adventures and whether they found any gold and, and so on. That's well established that archaeologists just think the same because they're also members of, of the public. Now, I think a lot of the computer games and the superficial references to this notion of the archaeologist in popular culture um, is um, it's a way of theming, really. It's about uh, giving a context of a particular story, which as such is not often necessarily to do with with the past yeah. or with archaeology. And I think it's it, it's fine as such. I don't have any problem. The problem for me is not that um, it misrepresents archaeology because it's just not meant to represent archaeology. But there are, of course, other issues to do with that, uh, and that's about the ethics of some of the representations, and the, like the gender roles that are that you see there, or other kinds of prejudices against certain groups of people. Um, that is problematic, and I think that needs to be addressed and and and, and changed. But I think that's possible without changing the whole idea of archaeology as, as a theme. It can be changed within that theme. Um, so when I mean, obviously, why do you think this? is a, th a problem for archaeology especially academic archaeology i mean is this uh is are these kind of feelings that archaeologists have when it comes to you know feeling almost like the past and archaeology isn't portrayed properly i mean where does that start is that in the lecture hall or is that before i mean wh when does an archaeologist kind of say you know when does the feeling develop do you think I mean, where do you think it comes from? Well, it's hard to say exactly where it develops, but it's certainly, a, a, there's a culture around that. Mm. It's something many archaeologists talk about. It's, it's, it's online, it's in the lecture hall, it's on the excavation in the field. It's, as soon as there's a film in, 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 in Hollywood or on the telly or some new web page, then people will start bickering about how this or that is wrong and so on. Uh, it's acceptable, it's expected, it's, it's the thing you do and you find agreement with among your peers. Um, so it's certainly a culture which I think uh, is not very um, helpful actually for the way we engage with society. When I've been talking to um, archaeologists, especially in relation to being on something like this, for example, you know, talking with, uh, you know, and putting themselves out there, a lot of archaeologists are quite reluctant to do so because they're actually reluctant to do so because they're worried about other archaeologists, you know, attacking them. I mean, in archaeology, there certainly is a also a culture of people being quite hostile when it comes to people talking about their own ideas about things. Do you think that is also comes into the mix? What do you think about that? Well, that's just sad. <laughs> Well, that happens. I don't know. There are always people in all professions with low self-confidence and who are maybe not 
too sure themselves what they actually, what message they want to give or, and I'm sure it also happens that there's a certain amount of bullying going on. Um, I don't know, archaeology is not better than other fields in, in, in that respect. But from my perspective, I don't suffer from that, I think. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm more than willing to stand for my opinions. And uh, if somebody wants to criticize that, then that's fine, you know, then we have a discussion about it. Uh, in many ways, that's what it's about. Yeah, no, of course. Um, what about when the past um, and you know, when we talk about what if what happens in the past becomes problematic, like, okay, so we, we've talked about, you know, th um, basically the bigger picture, the narrative and stuff, but what if that then gets mixed in with things like, uh, there was recently a show uh, in America called the Nazi War Diggers, and obviously what they were doing was trying to go through and find and dig up, um, uh, like, you know, treasures of the Nazi regime. And, you know, it was very evident from the way they handled human remains that they were mostly interested in finding a large stash of gold and possibly the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, so, I mean, what happens when it kind of gets mixed with ethics? I mean, should archaeologists say, look, guys, you know, this, this is, this is, no, I'm going to put my foot down now. I let you out of your little thing. Now I'm going to put my foot down. This is wrong. I mean, what, in what way, when do, like, what are, what role does archaeology have when it comes to things that, you know, archaeologists know are ethically dubious? And we, we are com we think of a lot about how to deal with them. When do we come in? Well, as I said before, I think there are some serious issues, in, like the one you, do, you just mentioned, and obviously one needs to, to deal with that. Now, the question is on what level, um, and I think it's, um, it's obvious that um, the, the laws in each country apply to archaeologists as much as anybody else. Yeah. So if there's something which we do which is not, does not con conform with the law, then obviously that's wrong in that respect. And there are also ethical rules which apply to all of us, uh, whether that's on the human rights level or on something more specific, religious orientations or personal values, then obviously we need to respect them and, and work according to them. And that may mean that we take issue with some programs that are out there uh, in, in the media. And I think that that's all fine. The problem I, I have um, or what I disagree with is that there is a, prof as a professional ethics that would say that talking about gold and dealing with skeletons and uh, all of these stereotypes, that, that this is professionally wrong to do. I think this is wrong for other reasons. It's, it's wrong in the, in the way maybe the message it sends out about um, indigenous people or uh, about yeah, other kinds of minorities or whatever, certain groups. There are issues there, but they apply to all of us as citizens and as individuals, and, and, and we are just people who uh, work in a particular area. I don't think it's, it's the archaeology is wrong when you try to find gold, because I think all archaeologists try to find gold, essentially, whether they admit it or not, and whether it's uh, literal gold or metaphorical gold. But it's always the big treasure. That's what people, I mean, that's what they talk about. That's what they want. That's what you promise in your grant applications. That's, actually, that's a really good segue, actually, for me, for my next question, <laughs> my next point. Um, Often, you know, I've, I've I've spent a lot of time recently going through news stories uh, about archaeology, and I often find myself confronted by headlines which detail the various ways which every single day, almost several hours, uh, like several times a day, the entire 
of archaeological discipline changes its mind and how every new discovery seems to be you know making us rethink the entirety of the like it, it goes over the top in basically saying oh this is the best thing we've ever found this is amazing um i mean surely archaeology is a bit more mundane than that and like i i don't know how that uh the, like obviously there are issues with how you know journalists treat any um, subject, but I mean, with in regards to archaeology, a lot of the time, uh, archaeological uh, like research and discovery is very incremental. Like what? Oh yeah, I mean, um, of course, this is something that is, um, comes up all the time, um, and I can understand uh, because I think your description is fair. There are very many headlines of that sensationalistic kind, and sometimes next to each other, and loads of them in the same issue, and and, and that's everywhere. Um, but I think the underlying problem is not that the journalists get it wrong. Um, in fact, the opposite. <laughs> um, I would maintain that the people who complain loudest about that, and I'm, I'm not necessarily implying that this is you. <laughs> oh, be very careful. <laughs> I'll chuck you off my show. <laughs> I am. I am. Um, but um, a lot of people who are complaining about that, they don't understand how the media work. They don't understand why journalists are doing that. Because essentially, uh, this is to do with the news value of a story. A story you want to have in a newspaper or in a some other um, uh, news media needs to be irrelevant uh, at this particular point in time. There needs to be a currency to that, and there's no currency if you if, if you don't have a, a a particular reason why this is important just now. That's what superlatives do. They they say this is a sensation which has happened as we speak or yesterday or something. That's why it's in the news. If you drop that, it's no longer newsworthy. So it's not the fact. There's no basic archaeology like. For example, you, you excavated um, uh, a cemetery somewhere, a prehistoric cemetery. Um, so the news is not that you found a prehistoric cemetery with particular kind of material culture and dates to this period and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then journalists put on the wrong headline. You know, I think that's just a complete misunderstanding how it works. The, the news value lies in the headline and the rest is just the, the aside. The headline, uh, whatever it may be, first ever cemetery from the past found in this region. The you know the whole history needs to be rewritten. That's the news, and then it doesn't matter if it's that cemetery or it's some other excavation or that settlement. And and that also explains why so often the details are wrong in the story, because because journalists um, they get, I mean they take their notes but then they confuse them or whatever, and it doesn't say Iron Age but Bronze Age, and it's not the third millennium but the uh, but the fifth millennium whatever. Um, and it just shows that this is not important. The important thing is what's more, that's what, why we have headlines. Mm -hmm. um, that's what, what creates the interest, and that, that's where the relevance lies in, in, in the story. So I think you need to look at that from, from, from the other uh, perspective and, and be glad that archaeology creates that many headlines, that we are newsworthy all the time, reliably so. We call for a press conference at our excavation site, they come every time, and it's every time uh, at least a half page with a big image, you know, and then to stand there and say, oh no, we're in the news again, again, it's a half page, and they all think it's the coolest project ever, you know, how boring. I really don't think that's the attitude we should be taking. <laughs> do you think, uh, do you think that um, in some ways, uh, the archaeological culture is a bit insular, you know, like people kind of, archaeologists are very happy to spend time with other archaeologists who know what they're talking about. And um, I've, I've, yes, I've, 
Yeah, I mean, that's fair enough. I mean, we all want to be with our friends and colleagues. I think that happens in all worlds and mm-hmm. in, in all professions. Uh, but I think what is also true is that, as I said before, that I think we're, we're not good at recognizing the bigger picture. We don't want to know why the journalists write about us. We don't care about that. We don't see the bigger picture so easily. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, uh, what would you what would you say to a young, angry archaeologist who has just read that, well, the site could have been... <laughs> could have been uh, taken over by aliens about a thousand years ago, but obviously, you know, they've put a lot of effort into their site. You know, they've sat and toiled. I mean, do you think the fact that there's a very physical connection of archaeologists to their work um, that kind of, and there's a lot of time devoted in finding out all the small little details to have that kind of then kind of meat grinded and the cream taken off. You know, isn't there isn't there a little bit of a viable anger there? I don't know. No, <laughs> <laughs> I would say no. Don't worry about it. You know, life goes on. <laughs> keep smiling. This is not uh, a local newspaper. Is not an assessment of your professional work. And this is just a journalist trying to find something relevant. And you should be pleased that he or she found something relevant. And it becomes a story. And often, I mean, you get a lot of feedback after stories. People read it. You hear, oh, I read the story about you, fantastic project, and so on. Mm. That's, that's great. And everybody realizes that the project has more sides to it than what the journalist saw. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it's all important. And, but it's, it's different sides of the same project. There's obviously a lot of nuance uh in this kind of area you know there's a lot of the time it's you know it's written like this but it you know there's the it's like this sure. but and, and i i think maybe maybe i i i personally feel that a lot of the general public especially when it comes to news and communicating that nuance is very much lost a lot of the time because people are taking things at face value. I mean, obviously that's not actually the case. Um, uh. But for answers, you have other places. Yeah, that's what uh, academic publications are yeah. for. That's where you can be as subtle as you want to be, and you should be, in fact. And good archaeologists are. That, that's where, where they can show that value. Otherwise, you cannot have nuances about everything in, in, in the newspaper. You know, I don't want to know the nuances about foreign <laughs> policy. I just want to know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Or other disciplines, you know, I'm not curious about the nuances of botany mm-hmm. or something, you know. But I, w- I am interested if they find uh, a new species where, where I live, which is particularly um, interesting for some reason. Yeah. You know, that's good enough for me. So, And I think it's the same for yeah. other people regarding archaeology. Do you think there's a place then for archaeologists as professionals in the general public? Or is it, uh, or, you know... Are archaeologists merely translators slash facilitators of the past? I mean, in more direct um, context, you know, like when we kind of have an archaeologist, you know, like what I'm basically saying is, are archaeologists, you know, it, it, is it worth it to even be a professional voice if for so long archaeology has kind of like, you know, abused that? I mean, can we, can we crawl back? To the general public and say, "Look, we're sorry we shot at you. We want to engage. <laughs> Please help us." <laughs> yeah, archaeologists, we are so popular, you know. That, um, it's um, 
they hardly hear us complaining anyway. We complain to each other. There's a lot of whining going on in our own, uh, discussion forums on the internet and so on. I think most people don't even hear that because it's not relevant. It doesn't even turn up in the media, you know. You can write as many letters to the editor as you wish that a particular detail was wrong. <laughs> It'll never make an impact. So, so, so I, I, I definitely, absolutely, I mean, the public always loves us. At least I cannot see any change um, at the moment. Um, uh, so there is a role to play, and I think we do play an, an important role in, in, in various ways. And the academic role is also significant. I mean, there is a context in which this is appreciated. It's just not necessarily the popular culture context. Mm. Um, but it's not worthless. I didn't say oh, that. Oh no, no. Um, I, I, I'm just trying to, you know, explore some of the other points because what you've been talking about is actually really interesting. Because I think you've thoroughly changed my view on the topic. Um, <laughs> like uh, because you know, I think for me it's been you know the kind of well I've you know what I've found in academic archaeology is so you know, rewarding and invigorating for me that I, I want to share that with the world. But obviously it's, you know, there are other things to consider, especially, as you said, the bigger picture. And for me, like, I've always actually, for the last about six episodes, I've been going on about, you know, this public image of the pottering professor who's kind of like, you know, um, oh, you know, you know, he's got his little finds and everything and he's kind of mumbles to himself and occasionally, you know, they'll dust him off and bring him in front of a TV camera and then when they're done with him, they'll chuck him away. And obviously I'm looking at that very much of a archaeologist's point of view of, oh, well, you know, they only call me on when they really, 100% need somebody to authenticate what they've done but they don't really want to hear what I've got to say and like I think it's you're absolutely right when you're talking about seeing it from a different perspective that it's not actually the archaeologist being you know used and then thrown away by um, mass media and you know um, global media it's more that they're they're almost like they're seeing oh here's a potential story right say something and that's you know and you, you say your piece and i think that's actually very very important um yeah on the other hand of course you you, you shouldn't accept any offer from a journalist either you know you have to evaluate that whether you want to go along with that and Yes, maybe soundbite is the genre you have to use for them to use it, uh, but you don't have to say what they want you yeah. to say. You know, and say this is what I'm going to say, and you take it or leave it. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. and, go on. Uh, so I think that's also important. You, you you need to maintain your integrity as a as an academic and as a person. You know, don't say what. And, and also, I've, I've met archaeologists who, when they understood some of that, who tried to say what the journalist wants them to say. Just to come in the media, you know, I don't think that's the right way to. No, do it. it's it's more what you're saying is about the attitude you have about it, rather than yeah. what you actually do. Because you know, obviously, your attitude informs how you are. But at the end of the day, you know, you're you having an interest in archaeology is very important. So I mean, like, I, I completely understand that as well. I mean, obviously. I've I've found recently that I mean like when we what about what about archaeology stories that have an uh, a, a real political nature? Obviously, all archaeology is political. You know, 
um i i you know that that's not up for discussion although i did speak to someone last week who uh did feel very differently about that which was very very odd but um i think what happens when the past or a reified form of the past like uh kind of is used for a narrative that's maybe dangerous um there's a lot of there's a growing uh, kind of feeling a sentiment of nationalism in Europe, and um, the, a lot of nationalism kind of owes itself to trying to basically say, well, you know, this is we we are from this country. We've always been from this country. You know, th- this has been an unchanging kind of bloodline. You know, the past informs us who we are, and that's why we have some authenticity and power, and. Um, I mean, those yeah, I mean, situations. Some, these are some very serious issues, and, and not the least in Sweden, we have uh, the same challenge here with the right wing party in parliament holding a rather important um, role there that, uh, because we have a minority government and they really depend on those votes. And it's a very awkward situation. Um, n- now, I do, of course, accept that uh, we cannot. Um, uh, agree with uh, this sort of uh, interpretations and approaches to the past and, and, and to archaeology necessarily, and we should object to that. However, um, very often I think the objection has to come from us as citizens, if we know happen not to disagree with that. Because uh, uh, at the end of the day, I think we're, we're not living in a fascist state. No. <laughs> uh, we are living in, in, in all of us in, in, in societies that are uh, uh, democracies that have free press, that have a lot of achievements of, um, that, are, that are worthwhile and that still function quite well. So we cannot say um, if somebody, if, if, if it turns out to be that a colleague of us was a member of any such party, uh, and it should be statistically. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then what are we going to say? We cannot shut this person up for professional reasons. I don't think that's the right way to do it. I think we need to object as citizens and um, persuade people in our circles and you know, uh, write arguments of why we mm-hmm. think this is wrong and say that archaeologists can also present a different perspective, for example. So I think yeah. that, is, that is the way. We shouldn't say you cannot be an arche- a professional archaeologist and have these mm-hmm. opinions. That's dangerous. On the other hand, just as an aside, which will make me unpopular on the other side of the Atlantic, but I'm more than happy to do that. Oh, go go for it. (laughs) Uh, That's maybe too much to say, but I've I've written it before, and uh, so it's not entirely news. Because uh, the the logic you you just mentioned of uh, blood and soil, basically, that that the past um, connects to our genes, and this has certain implications for nationalist politics in the present. That's a logic that you find also in uh, in the way indigenous rights are being um, defended um, in, for example, in North America. Uh, and it's very dangerous, very, I mean, you don't know what to say about that, because on, on the one hand, of course, you want to uh, support them and you understand their case, and it's a post-colonial situation where they have every reason to expect um, to be treated better. On the other hand, just that particular argument that uh, NAGPAR and so on, that they have special rights concerning the past and artifacts, uh, is so often based on um, genetic attributions and the fact that they've lived in a particular area for longer than anybody else uh, and so on. And this is a reasoning that is very similar to the reasoning that extremists, nationalists are using in Europe. So you have to see both sides of that and it's... uh, and it is very, very problematic in, in both cases, um, but it's difficult 
to dismiss it outright on professional grounds. As I think both these cases. Are that's uh, actually a really nice. Um, that's a really nice example of like uh, a political shoehorn, where two groups who should be opposing actually kind of curve round and uh, sometimes uh, start to resemble <laughs> each other in the what they're in their views, just on obviously representing different sides. But it is a very very uh, good point, and uh, I, I think. To be absolutely honest, uh, Nagpur doesn't get a lot of positive um, response from um, from people who kind of see it as, oh well, you're just giving it away to you know indigenous groups and uh, like I I think to be absolutely honest, um, there's yeah, but yeah. That's, I mean I also object I object for the wrong reasons. Yeah, no, exactly, <laughs> and that that's what I mean. I think that's that's the biggest thing about. Um, those kind of rights in America is because people object for the wrong reasons. It would be nice to hear somebody object for the right reasons, eh? Yeah, and that has not been, not many people entertain this thought at all. This is still unheard of in North America a lot, actually. Very few people will think like that, that the argument as such is problematic. So, I mean, um, how, like, actually, I want to get back to um, your conversations with other archaeologists in regard to you know, uh, if they've actually read the book. I mean, how how, how do archaeologists talk to you uh, about this? I mean, has anybody really got angry at you for even suggesting any of this? Well, not too much. Obviously, some people disagree with that. And, you know, I tend, in all my work, I tend to write in a way so that I hope people will disagree with me. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not writing so that everybody will agree because I think that's not the role we should have in society. I think we should challenge both our colleagues and, and, and other people in, in, in society. So I'm always trying to go as long as I possibly can, as follow the argument to its logical conclusion and further mm. <laughs> um, to see um, where that gets me. And uh, so, yes, not everybody agrees with that. And there have been a few uh, critical discussions also uh, in publications. But um, I've never felt that uh, there were any problems with that. I mean, I've never been personally attacked or anything like that. And, and, and I, I don't foresee this happening either because I think at the end of the day, we're all we're working the same business. You know, we're all interested in relations between academic disciplines and, and, and the public and, and society. And we have different views in that, but we support each other. So there isn't really any particular problem, I don't uh, think. What's, what is your favorite popular media representation of archaeology like are, are you a big oh. fan of indiana jones or are you kind of like you just don't like them for other reasons <laughs> no i do like him but that would be a bit too simple and oh no of course uh, <laughs> i want to know more <laughs> yeah me too. i can't give you a, a, um, a name for that spontaneously but i do really like the the portrayals of archaeologists in science fiction Mm -hmm. I think that's that's very rich and it's much more diverse than than, than one expects. When I, I mean the Brand book that was the result of a two year project uh, more than ten years ago now, and and so I had two years and I thought in my free time in the evenings and and so on I would read some uh, science fiction that has archaeology in it and uh, I bought a lot second hand and and so on and so I still have about two meters of science fiction at home. 
And every book has archaeology in it. And I didn't get near to uh, finishing uh, reading all the titles I knew exist. So I finished those I have, but uh, this is only the top of an iceberg. It's a huge field, and it's uh, incredibly rewarding, I think, to see the vari variability of the context in which archaeology is used in, in, in science fiction. And the obvious, uh, and maybe maybe I should nominate this as my favorite example, is, is of course, the Planet of the Apes. Ah, yes. And uh, the classic uh, film, um, you know, with the chimpanzee uh, archaeologist uh, and so on. And I remember when I started teaching uh, about 20 years ago in, in Wales at the time, there was a student in, in, in my group, and I introduced myself um, by my first name. Uh, so my name is Cornelius, and, and he just started laughing like crazy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't really know what was this all about. And at this, this point, I hadn't actually seen the film, but then he explained to me, you're not um, Cornelius as the archaeologist in Planet of the Apes. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, and then I watched the film, and I can see why this was funny. So I, I, I still think this is a wonderful film. It's so rich in imagery, and the story is just so powerful. Uh, and it's all about archaeology. You know, it's just mm -hmm. one example in for the way archaeology is used in science fiction. It's it's everywhere. You know, Star Trek, um, you name it. So it, and I think that's that's just brilliant. Oh no, that's that is really uh, <laughs> no. I must say, I, I completely agree. I love I love uh, the original, the classic Planet of the Apes, and actually, I was always I was impressed the first time I watched it as to how it kind of dealt with archaeology, mm. um, because it also is it's a bit reminiscent of archaeology at the time, especially when it came to things like well, you know, archaeologists have to kind of tie into uh, what the you know what the government kind of says oh yeah no no this is this is what happened you or what religious figures said happened and i i like yeah i, I think it's a really good example do you have any other examples just 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 names of books because <laughs> now i'm wanting to buy books with archaeology in them <laughs> um, um i think i mentioned quite a few in in, in the book actually there's um at the end i just have a look here myself um <laughs> Um, there are um, various categories um, and there are other books here also specific fiction there's one thing I don't like I'm, I'm not too impressed by Agatha Christie I have to say oh it's okay uh, <laughs> the way she writes but I know this is of course also popular here's one a Swedish one which I like that's maybe I know your readers may not all be able to read Swedish, but P.C. Jersild, Dom Unders Kloster, that I think is a fantastic story. It's not so old, it's 2003. And it's about commercial archaeologists digging in the middle of Sweden, and uh, they are excavating a site, uh, but they're also excavating themselves. And I think how this goes together, this, this can be fascinating. And there's actually another book I remember, which is um, on that theme. Um, now, which one was that? Can't think of the of the title now, but it is uh, it's a, quite a common theme uh, that archaeology becomes a metaphor in in literature, and that novelists use that quite deliberately in order to um, have two processes going on at the same time. That the archaeologist in the outer world finds things and discusses things, interprets them, and at the same time there's an inner process, uh, some turmoil in 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 the main person or one of the characters. Um, yeah. yeah. Do you, Do you think that people find that reflected in how archaeology is dealt with, in you know, in the in, in just general now? Because you know that would probably owe something to the fact why archaeologists feel kind of out of touch. You know what I mean? Like, 
archaeologists, you know, would you, would you say if archaeologists read more about how archaeology is written in books, they could probably better understand the kind of narratives and bigger pictures? You know, it's just a thought that came past my head, you know, like... Maybe, but then, you know, I don't want to sound like a missionary who tells people what they need to do to feel better. Oh, no, no, of course. I'm just uh, asking, would that be a good idea? <laughs> it's really a question of opening one's mind, and you can do that in different ways. And maybe for some people it's good to read novels, and other people will do different things. I mean, the, the connection between archaeology as a literal and as a metaphorical enterprise, I think that's something we're all familiar with when we're doing field work. Because on excavations, you sit there in, in, in your trench and do whatever you do, and, and, and people start uh, having conversations with, with your colleagues on all sorts of things, you know, and the days are long, and you, you know, you get into all kinds of things, and it's, it's um, uh, that's also a very interesting experience, um, which I guess is not unique to archaeology, but it happens in this situation, you're outdoors, you are... Uh, you know, in a different country sometimes, in a different context, um, and you find yourself with another person having, spending together, you know, many days and many hours while doing some mechanical work at the same time. So I think uh, this is something that is relatively well known, that you explore your own life. Uh, you tell stories about who you are and how you feel and, and, and so on, what you want to do in the future. And so there's also that dimension, which I think opens up uh, another sphere. But, 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 you know, there's one thing which uh, we haven't talked about, but which I think we should, um, we should talk about. Go on. In relation to the book, and that's the illustrations in the book. Okay. And you may have the title page in front of you, or you can remember yes, what. Yes, I do, I do. And um, I think the, um, there's a risk in reducing books to their content. Sorry? Uh, well, a surely a book is its content. What, what? The content is some of it, but it's not all of it. And, and so much is about genre and it's about um, how a book feels and what sort of character a book has as, as material culture. And we archaeologists should understand that better than anybody, really. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so one aspect of that, which I, um, I've tried to work with, at least in some way, in the, in the book, is, is the illustrations. Because archaeologists are used to put in figures in their work, and they're normally pictures of sites, you know, artifacts or something. They're, they're literally illustrations of something that goes on in the text. And this book uh, was illustrated by um, a very gifted um, person who is both a cartoonist and an archaeologist, Quentin Drew. And he got the manuscript and they said, you know, do whatever you want, but, do, but make it fun, you know. Illustrate the ideas of the book, but in a way that you put your own spin on it, you know. D don't just, uh, when I mention the site, don't just put in an image of the site. Now, that, that doesn't really help us. Uh, try to have another dimension, a visual dimension, which adds something unique to the book. And that's what he did. And if you look through the cartoons, um, they're very different, but they all are his interpretation of what goes on in the text. It's a whole different way of reading the book. And then, of course, there's the, the, um, what he calls the flip-to-view technology, the thumb effect on the sides of the book, if you can get a little story happening there on the <laughs> side. And I've never I've seen that before in children's books and so on, but never before in an academic book. Mm -hmm. That was the attempt also to challenge here the, the format of an academic book by creating a story in a different way. And there's yeah. no reason why we shouldn't have that in academic books. You know, It's just not usually done. Mm -hmm. So and I really think that Quentin is, uh, did an excellent job in uh, doing just that, um, putting his own visual spin on the book. And I feel also that this is... Uh, 
not just his work, but many good illustrators' work is not sufficiently uh, acknowledged very often in in, in the uh, in archaeology at large. Yeah, no, definitely. And um, so, obviously, your uh, your book, by the way, is available on Amazon or other retail online retailers, or is, do you have a specified shop <laughs> to get it from? Well, I think it is still available, but if not, I think the, the publisher, it's one of one of us, of course, it's Archeo Press in Oxford, and they still have it available, and it's probably the easiest way to, to get it directly there if anybody's interested. Yeah. All right, no worries. Um, finally, uh, I know you are part of the uh, a project uh, which is the New Horizons Space Message, yes. which, if anybody's interested, is uh, www.oneearthmessage.org. Can you tell me a little bit how, how what is it? Well, I mean, this is um, a message that is going to go out into space next year, or from next year onwards. Um, uh, the um, humanity has so far sent uh, five spacecraft um, into leaving Earth in, in, into space that will um, leave our solar system. And the first two are um, called Pioneer, and the second two are called Voyager, and both of them left in the 70s. And the fifth one is New Horizons. And that was sent a few years ago already from Earth, uh, and it will approach Pluto uh, next July. And that's the main um, aim of the mission is to record, document various things um, in that context as it passes Pluto. And after that, the hard disk on that spacecraft um, will uh, be available for other users uh, because the idea is to beam back to Earth um, the pictures they take and whatever measurement they, they, yeah. they will take. And that's a project now which has started about a year ago in, in the US, um, which is coordinating and um, running um, um, an attempt to... Uh, create a message about uh, humanity on Earth, and in fact on all living beings on Earth, um, that will represent us for whoever may or may not see this message later on. And since all these messages always reflect the present day and reflect our society and our values, you may recall the pioneer image with the naked man and, and woman. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then the um, golden disc that was sent on the Voyager uh, oh, yeah, yeah. in the late 70s. Um, so now we live in the digital age. Uh, so this time around it will be done by crowdfunding and there will be a, the message will be digital and it will be much, much more democratic. It will involve um, a whole range of people and people will be able to vote and influence what will be sent. Mm. So it's a message um, both to outer space, but also to us here on Earth. What is it that we all share? How can we cooperate? What is it that we... that um, humanity on Earth has in common, and I think that's the real value of the project, that we get us all together to focus, again, despite all the various conflicts and um, uh, crises that we always go through, what is it we, we share and, 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 and we should um, work on together. I think that's a very important uh, message. So this project wants to contribute to that. Mm -hmm. uh, what attracted you to the project? What, what made you get involved? Well, I think it's obvious as an archaeologist, this is exactly what we do. <laughs> because, um, I mean, we're used to very long time uh, distances. We're used to um, uh, interpretation of, of um, coded messages or coded in different ways. We're used to remains from the past. We're used to material culture generally. These, these are the terms in which we operate. And, and all that happens here is that, that we mirror 
the way we normally deal with these issues in relation to the past. We mirror that into the future. So we're not trying to make sense of something we've found from the past. You know, what did it mean? How old is it? You know, what can we learn from it? But we are creating something that we hope will be understood by somebody else in the future. And in both cases, the real message is to the present, you know. We, we don't really have to understand what life was like 5,000 years ago, you know, because this, you know, has sort of, it has already been. <laughs> uh, it, it's not that a great deal depends on it. But it is interesting in, in, in the way we were talking about previously, in the implications such a story has for the present, you know, because it's linked to politics and ethics and all kinds of things. It's important for that. And, and it's the same that a story about for the future, for a message for any future beings is not, yes, it's directed at them, but for all we know, they may not even exist. The message may not be readable. I mean, uh, an electronic or digital, some kind of USB stick, whatever that looks like on the spacecraft, you know, will that really survive a billion light years or whatever and crashes with I don't know how many stars and maybe... <laughs> and all the radiation in space but it doesn't matter you know because it is meaningful to us today in the present on earth it's a message to ourselves just like archaeology is so I think there are many similarities and it's not strange at all that I'm interested in that and, and they also welcome me very easily and it's um, yeah it goes really well and we'll, we'll see where we end up with that next year well, I hope the aliens don't have as much trouble as I do with plugging USB sticks. Um, <laughs> well, thank you very much for uh, coming on the show and chatting to me today. I hope this has been rewarding for you as much as it has for me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Tristan. Good talking to you. And talk to you again some yes, other time. No problem. Thank you very much. That was the An Archaeologist podcast, episode number seven. Tune in in a fortnight's time for the next episode.